naturally occurring psychoactive compound, psilocybin, is found in over 200 species of mushrooms. Despite their millennia of use by humans for mental and spiritual well-being, they have been classified falsely among the most dangerous and illegal of substances. Locked away from those who need them most. The Psilocybin Chronicles documents the individuals who courageously consume, collect, or cultivate these mushrooms to improve the quality of their lives. Won't you join us as we welcome the return of psilocybin? Welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. I am your host, Eric Osborne. This podcast is intended for education and harm reduction purposes only. The Psilocybin Chronicles, Michael Meditations, nor myself condones any illegal activity. Brooke Novick is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a private practice in New York. She works with clients of all ages and specializes in anxiety, low self-esteem, and psychedelic integration. Brooke is a graduate of the California Institute of Integral Studies Certificate Program in Psychedelic-Assisted Therapies and Research. She is profoundly passionate about the ability of entheogens to assist individuals, couples, and families on their journey of healing and growth. Brooke is committed to helping people access psilocybin-assisted work in a safe set and setting in hopes of individuals experiencing healing, trust, and opening more fully to love. For more information, please visit brooknovick.com Won't you join me in welcoming Brooke Novick to the Psilocybin Chronicles? All right, Brooke, welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. Thank you so much for having me. Again. <laughs> that, was, that was a test run way back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I wonder if your answer has changed. I do recall your answer from the last time, but let's go there. If you could take psilocybin mushrooms with anybody, who would that be? And why? So I would definitely choose my grandparents, my father's parents, who were Holocaust survivors. They just experienced so much trauma and had no one to process it with. And uh, I just think this work would have been really helpful for them and really could have helped with their healing tremendously. Mm-hmm. What, if anything, did they use to get through that trauma as life went on? I think there was just a lot of repression because there was really nothing else to do. Like they just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But, you know, my grandfather used to have like really bad nightmares and, you know, scream in his sleep. So, you know, they did, they made beautiful lives for themselves here. But I think it would have been just so much better if they could have done some healing. How, how? much were you aware like when did they pass and how much were you aware of what they were going through from all that they didn't talk about it that much with me more than more with me than they did with my father um but my grandfather passed when i was 11 so i was pretty young and then my grandmother passed um when i was older like in my late thir- uh, late 20s okay yeah okay so that that's that's they're pretty old for Holocaust survivors then, were they? Or? Yeah, yeah. My grandmother was like ninety four when she passed. Oh, yeah. Well, you got some good genes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, Colin and I were actually talking about uh, Holocaust and the trauma, and you know the just 
wow, what that what that must have been like on people last night. It is. I actually ate, ate mushrooms in Amsterdam, and as I was walking down the main street to the uh, was it Schiphol uh, train station there where they came in. Apparently, Anne Frank's house was right there. Yeah, I was taken back there uh, that day, back when mushrooms were legal in Amsterdam. Mm. There's so much pain in this world, you know. That's what I know you as a therapist see this, and I, with psychedelic work, see there's just so much pain. And people often ask, why, why? Do you have any answer for that? That's mm. <laughs> a it's a really good question. It's tough, right? Yeah, I, I, it's really I stumble tough. every time someone asks. I don't know why. Yeah, I think pain can motivate us to grow. Um, so maybe that's part of it. It's definitely a, a good outlook. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, if the pain pays off in growth, then it serves a purpose. You know, um, it doesn't make it any easier to bear, but it. Mm-hmm. serves a purpose well so um you know i know a little bit about your personal story and uh some of some of the pain you worked through and i know that psilocybin has played a big role in that uh, but before we get to kind of the the way psilocybin has helped you let's just talk about when you first heard of psilocybin what did you think and uh, was that um, also the first time you tried it or did you hear about it before you tried it? Hmm. I was definitely, pro- I mean, definitely, I don't know. I was probably in high school when I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have older siblings, so I'm the youngest. So I learned a lot from mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I was 16 when I first tried psilocybin. Okay. Yeah. Um, my brother returned from fish tour <laughs> and had some leftovers <laughs> and gave it to me and a friend. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. We just laughed for like four hours straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the mushrooms gave me a very warm welcome. Good. Yeah. They, they tend to do that, in the, especially when it's that recreational kind of, oh, let's just eat some mushrooms and see what happens. Mm-hmm. They're often very, very friendly and... Uh, enticing yes uh, i have a way of shifting gears later <laughs> on. Um, but it surprises me how many people i've talked to have never heard of psilocybin until they tried it they're just like oh somebody gave me some psilocybin some mushrooms one time i never even heard of magic mushrooms I'm oh like, wow really? so you know you had a little bit of prep you had a little bit of idea anyway mm-hmm. what you were in for at that point it was just kind of recreational purely yeah high school i would assume yeah Yeah, people weren't talking about the therapy they got out of psilocybin in high school Mm -mm. when when did you start to recognize that this medicine had a therapeutic application yeah so uh in my 20s early 20s probably i was struggling with a lot of social anxiety which started in middle school and really continued on through college. But when I started working with psilocybin with more of an intention to do some healing, mm-hmm. I really started to notice that things were shifting. Mm-hmm. So that was like the beginning of my introduction to like, oh, this stuff can really like change things in mm-hmm. a positive way. But I was also struggling for a long time with bulimia. And uh, I was not talking about it with anyone. And I was in a lot of denial about what was going on. And there was a lot of shame wrapped up in with it as well. So I just really wasn't talking about it. 
And like in my mid-20s, I started working with psilocybin really with like a lot of intention. And it's it's no exaggeration to say that my whole life changed after that. Were you um, made aware that psilocybin could be applied therapeutically or had you stumbled upon it in practice? I, I, I just stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just started to see how much it was shifting things for me. Mm-hmm. And then I like really started making uh, intentions behind my work. Okay. And what did those sessions look like? Were you by yourself? with others was it very formal i was never alone for those sessions i was in groups or maybe with like one other person um and we tried to you know make it a bit ceremonial mm-hmm. and uh yeah just with a lot of respect for the medicine mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. like the recreational feel mm-hmm. 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 yeah that's one thing i noticed about you is that you well i mean you have a great respect for for people uh, and their their space and what they're going through uh, and the medicine itself. I can it just it seems it seems like the way you move through life. What I see of you, you are just very. You try to stay just aware and yeah, just like respectful of the space. Um, so that's that's one of the things that makes you so good at working within the space of psilocybin, which that is a completely different thing, right? So let's talk about some of your experiences working with psilocybin, uh, applying it mm-hmm. to others directly. Yeah, it's been a dream. It's been amazing. Um, as a therapist, you know, I sit with people all day long and I just think like, oh, I wish I could give you some psilocybin. Mm-hmm. I think that would really help. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do it here is such a gift. It's just such a gift. So what what does it look like? I mean, you as a therapist and what you're seeing. I mean, you spend hours working with Otis, who I recorded with last night and or yesterday. And for listeners, you keep up on the episodes. Otis's third experience. Well, maybe I'll let you describe that a little better since you were there with him. But that will come in a minute. But as a as a therapist, like you said, sitting with people and then without psilocybin and then sitting with them with psilocybin. Describe some of the differences that you see. Mm -hmm. I think in regular sessions, you know, without psilocybin, it's very easy for people to come in and control the experience. You know, like our minds are so powerful. So people can not say things or or things can be so repressed or there can be such high levels of denial that like things are just not spoken about that really need to be Mm. spoken about. And I feel like with psilocybin, that stuff just gets, you know, it, it you get to it much faster. Of course, everyone's different and like mm-hmm. we can't have expectations, but typically mm-hmm. or very often um, you can. I, I've been seeing people get to the root of their issues much faster. And I feel like in this retreat alone, we've heard numerous times people say like, I've been in therapy for, you know, mm-hmm. since I was 17 mm-hmm. and now I'm 50 or 60 mm-hmm. and you know, all I needed was like two sessions or mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with psilocybin. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, talk about, talk about that. So you, you have sat with many people and then with, with this gentleman in particular, what, what, like, what did you see there directly now? And what, you know, the difference I'm thinking like the amount of time, you don't normally spend that much time with clients, right? <clears throat> so it's different. 
in that regard. But just as far as uh, the outpouring that you saw, can you kind of describe that? And I know Otis, uh, so much respect for this guy that has come down here and worked so hard. He's worked, not worked so hard just here. He's worked so hard his whole life um, as a hospital administrator, physician, family physician, psychiatrist, um, just so much respect for this guy and, and, you know, respect for us because we did put in a lot of time with this. And I think he really brought that home to me, the importance of us taking care of ourselves and the importance of us washing out mm. our work. So anyway, can you describe some of what you saw yesterday? Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, Otis is amazing, so I'm excited to hear his episode, and I'm really grateful that the field of medicine has someone like that mm -hmm. as a member. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, Otis was having a, a deeply cathartic experience for hours and hours and just releasing things and memories and feelings that had been in, in, you know, stuck inside of him for years, mm -hmm. for, for, you know, 40 years. Um, things that he never felt comfortable or able to talk about with other people. And he was walking around with that every day, mm -hmm. you know, and that's miserable. But isn't it, isn't it amazing how, <clears throat> I mean, the intensity that is felt during the session uh, is a big part of it. But just the outpouring of words and memories and experience and, and how speaking that does it, it. You can see it actually working to unload a burden from someone. So how powerful are you know, our minds and our words mm -hmm. we are. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Otis freed up so much space mm -hmm. within him yesterday mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well so with with otis with every single individual here and with leslie we saw this very very uh drastic release of what it, it, it's like we're hearing words right but now to get really really this is gonna get off track for mainstream therapy right now is that you and i uh were two of the facilitators that consumed psilocybin yesterday of the six facilitators that we had for 13 guests which was nearly a two to one ratio plenty you know you and i dosed and we have talked about feeling the this this energetic release like sometimes it's heat you know, with, with Otis, there's, you know, some purging. And I'm so curious at how the world of standard therapeutic practice is going to engage with uh, what psilocybin elicits and then how we're going to develop language and understandings and measurements of it. So, you know, it's obviously very early in the stage and there's not you know, we have such a beautiful opportunity to be working with this at, uh, ahead of the curve, you know, and 
consistently we're we're recognized as there's no denying if it's if it's especially when it's heat like when i feel heat coming off of someone at such a distance it's just like all right there's an unseen energy that is radiating off this person for at six feet distance or whatever so what's your understanding of all that and how yeah just start there well it's pretty it's pretty fascinating all the things that can happen in the mushroom space mm-hmm. uh and i i <laughs> it's difficult to to speak of like i I love this medicine and I've been working with it for so many years, but I don't really think I, you know, understand it so much. Mm-hmm. I trust it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't really know if I fully understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do worry that the field of therapy will, you know, label these things in maybe like not the most positive way mm-hmm. or, or just, yeah, I don't know. I, I worry that, that, the professional world can sort of like take out some of the magic mm-hmm. uh, or try to like label things. And I don't know if I'm even making. No, uh, Yeah. I don't know either. And <laughs> I just want to explore this. Yeah. You know, Cause right, right now it's just, it's just talk. It's just theory. Yeah. Right now. And we got one step away from it. I don't know if you saw where the house um, rejected the bill to make Schedule One substances easier for stu- science to study. Oh no! There is a writer. There's like a line that was added on, who knows how long after or whatever, that says that it, that that is the. It's not even the fucking bill or the law. It's a writer added on does not allow these substances, Schedule 1 substances, to come out of Schedule 1 and ever make it easier to study with science. Wow. It's fucking crazy. I really, that like, that makes me really upset. You know, people, you know, these, these medicines are illegal and it seems like it really should be illegal to not have them available yes. for people. That is a crime. It is. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, and then there's the whole thing. There's the Denver thing, the California thing. You know, I mean, I know it's easy for us to get kind of excited about this, um, but I, I suggest a tempered approach because the rug can get pulled out quicker than we think. So, yeah, that's why that's one of the reasons that having having a professional language around the psychedelic experience that is uh, fits into the framework of our culture is really important for us to develop. And I'm not sure that we're even really very close yet because like you said you work with these medicines for you know 20 years and you still don't know you know you have intimations or uh intuitions about things um what about uh, from a dosing perspective um you see i'm imagining you see a lot of medicated individuals Mm -hmm. um and that also in the western medical model is a very standardized approach right and i think you've seen how non-standard psilocybin is as far as dosing goes talk about that yeah um so you know everyone's sensitivity levels are so different and it's definitely not by body weight or height Mm -hmm. so it i I don't think it really can be standardized Mm -hmm. some people are you know some people need 10 grams and some people need two grams Mm -hmm. it's everyone is so different and sometimes you know three grams is different for the same person mm-hmm. uh, in different experiences, different times, different days. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yourself, you talked about that. You had the first and the second. 
How 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 were they again? What the first dose you said it was kind of normal onset, but really strong. Yeah. So the first dose this retreat, I took a gram, mm-hmm. and it came on fairly quickly, and it was pretty strong. Not not very visual, but uh, pretty strong. And so when I took a gram last night, I thought it would be similar, mm-hmm. um, but it was quite different. It took about two hours to come on. And then it was, um, it was then once it, it came on, it was very strong, but this time it was also very visual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. We didn't talk about that. Um, and so I, let's explore that. The, again, like as a therapist, you're working with people, normal baseline level of consciousness most of the time, and then you throw in this perception altering substance. And how does that impact you as a therapist in the working space? Mm, I... I really love the sessions where I dose. I mean, I love all the sessions, but when I dose, I feel even more tapped in to the collective energy of the group and to people, you know, individually. I just, I think it's really important for people, for facilitators to be dosing in the sessions. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um, We need more voices that speak to that. Um, Yeah. Well, last night, wow, that was... uh, Let's you and I do some integrating that (laughs) session. Yeah. Uh, Because we actually spent a fair amount of time in the same space there. Um, We had a talk about heroic doses. Uh, We had a heroic, heroinic, heroinic, how do you say that? (laughs) Dose uh, last night. Um, I don't know if we'll get her on the show, but she was talking about being on. Um, So I will go ahead and give a shout out amelia the explorer um she did 20 grams folks um we went from three and was very 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 low response uh and then i worked at 10 grams with her and it was still pretty pretty mild response so we did we did it she had the intuition that she should take 20 uh she is a therapist like brooke um so that's got to be interesting for you to be here with colleagues and uh, their first experiences with psilocybin and it was a powerful um, powerful session and like you said the group co- the group collective experience is just a fascinating fascinating thing to be in and observe uh, we've got a big big space with people in three basically three different areas of this large yard uh, and then we as facilitators we kind of start out in a spot I, I assign everyone a spot and we start there and then just kind of the afternoon moves on and we rotate around, give each other relief and move to different spaces and um, bring our individual energy to the space, even though we're not often speaking to anyone. So how did, how did you, like you said, it came on rather slow and then it hit you all of a sudden. I'm interested, like, when, when did you get that first wave? Mm, I was sitting at a a table in the like common space of one of the buildings and I was kind of sad that I wasn't feeling anything (laughs) 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 and it was two hours in so I thought okay you know this is I kind of just surrendered to that experience and then all of a sudden I started to hmm again it's so difficult to Mm. say in words but I just started to feel like some energy moving around in my body. And I thought, oh, okay. And then very quickly after that, it just got stronger and stronger and visual and like, oh, yeah, a lot of energy 
like moving through my body last mm. night. How did that coincide or how did the that wind play into your experience? And when did that like within the onset and the coming in of that weather? Yeah, it definitely felt related. Uh, it definitely felt related. Um, I was I was like inside, so I wasn't really feeling the wind, but I did notice the weather change. Mm -hmm. uh, and it did seem like that's when things took a shift. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not real often. And, you know, again, we don't know what's going on. We're tripping. But uh, after hundreds of hundreds of trips, you start to notice consistencies and you start to trust your feelings you know and man whatever it was that that kind of big breeze that came in uh right like the hour hour and a half of the peak you know uh it was like the upslope and right into the peak and then it just kind of passed through was great timing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like I don't know like I there's you know I'd been around the area through the different spots and was was there and could feel it coming on, coming on. And just like all of a sudden, it was just boom, I had to run. And I was just like, <laughs> like it was just pure movement. And it felt like it was centered around that room. Yeah, actually, now that I'm listening to you, I I was with you when you were moving around. And that definitely like was stirring something up in me mm. as well it's also connected it's also connected it's so beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah um, and you know really we sincerely i mean i don't i don't think we sound crazy or weird or maybe you know a little weird or whatever but that's, that's that is part and parcel of psilocybin and that's maybe that's the thing is like even myself i'm trying to wash away the weird but we all know that weird is where the work gets done here mm -hmm. right i mean like otis and his uh, when i first <laughs> first saw him like really going into it yesterday i like popped open the door and he's on all fours crawling to the bathroom like oh here we go <laughs> and that's when you went back there and so graciously spent uh so much time working with him uh, and helped him so much but i just want to interrupt you yeah, no like, please weird is where the work gets done in my regular office it's not that weird and people are so reserved and normal and you know mm -hmm. which is fine but there's so much like self-consciousness mm -hmm. and worry and fear and all the defenses and it just it gets in the way so much of getting the work done mm -hmm. and i feel like so much of my work at home is just breaking through those defenses so in the mushroom space it's just like boom broken through <laughs> let's yes. do the work yes 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 uh, it, it is that, like, oh, God, that keeping the lid on it, just keeping the lid on it, pretending we're in control. So, folks, let go. Let go of control. That's what uh, the lesson we continually learn here is we're not in control. There goes the breeze. I don't control that. Here comes the waves. Nope, don't control that. I don't even control what? My kids? I definitely don't control my kids. Shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we just even even as therapist or worker working with people um, for on, on improving the quality of their life, all we can do is just kind of point some directions and hope people find things on their own, you know. And that's the thing with psilocybin: if you go inside, you will find you will find it. 
and then like then talking it out with people who listen and care and just listen really the medicine does the work and if mm-hmm. you just have a caring person there with you see how beautiful humanity can be you're like fuck it's not that bad there is hope so what is your hope for psilocybin as a as a therapy i mean i feel like we've kind of talked about that but be as specific as you can yeah i guess my main hope is that people really continue and and do respect it as a medicine and um you know it's i don't I don't want people to see it as like a cure and I don't think it's helpful to come to this space with like super high expectations. I think my main hope is that people like really respect it and just like surrender and like open and trust Mm -hmm. the experience Mm -hmm. and know that like whatever experience you get is what you need and it might be so different than what you're wanting but like that's the medicine you're needing. This medicine is so old. It's been around for mm-hmm. how how many years? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think years count when you're talking yeah. mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Forever. <laughs> like it it knows what it's doing. You know, it's mm-hmm. been around way longer than mm-hmm. Western medications. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you find that you get much pushback in the in the in your peer community when you talk kind of in that way? I mean, like the plants because the medicine. You know, I do believe that there is an awareness or there is a an intelligence behind everything, and the medicine is part of that. Do you get pushback in the professional community? Mm. Sometimes, yeah, mm. with my my friends and community, regular community, no. But uh, I think the ther the the therapy community uh, is not very well educated on this work yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of education Mm -hmm. that needs to happen because there is a ton of misunderstanding around this still. Yeah. 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 And that's, and what you're speaking of is a respect for the medicine, acknowledging that it's, it's the, it is the medicine. Like it's not, it's not us. It's not us. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, you, you can definitely negatively impact someone else's trip for sure. Um, but if you are just sincerely a caring person that asks good questions and is not leading, trying to lead people down a path, then you can be a very good assistant. Yeah. Psychedelic therapist, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And you're very right that there is a huge misunderstanding. You know better than me, for sure, the, within the community. And and uh, But I, I guess I do see it quite a bit because I have a lot of therapists come down and think they know they read about psilocybin and they're like, oh, I know what this is going to be like. And then again, they're like, what the fuck is going on? Mm. Yeah, that's that's mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what what about when you think in terms of facilities? What would what would a psilocybin space in the city look like ideally? Mm, that's a tough question because I really love um, I love that at Myco everyone gets to be outside and in a group. Mm-hmm. I think both of those factors are like very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so people need to do this work elsewhere also. Mm-hmm. So like if you're in New York City, I would love for I would love for the space to be big with room for like movement and so you don't have to be confined to one space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like open space and maybe group opportunities would be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of outdoor indoor option, group opportunities, yeah. safe. Yeah. 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 Nature is really such a big part of getting a. Yeah. I feel like nature can just hold the mm-hmm. energy of the work so well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about that sometimes when we're tripping here 
Um, and you know, we're, we are directly on the coast and maybe hear the ocean and think about that big uh, tree right there, that big tall one with the, with the new leaf sticking up by the cabana. Um, <laughs> the, so the second dose, the first time I dosed with this group, there was a point where I just like, I don't know, I was just brought from the top of that hill right down to that tree and just wrapped my arms around it and just held onto it. And, and was thinking like this thing's been here through hurricanes, through all this storm and, it's the space that you're in has such a role to play even if it's like those archetypes oh know? yeah yeah <laughs> I, I look for it hopefully i'm praying that i get to be part of uh when this thing if this thing does legalize in the states i'm um, doing some designing of trip spaces mm. you know uh and even here we're we're working to improve that and where wherever we go it's just so fun getting to work with this medicine fun rewarding ex- exhilarating how do you feel now, after you you worked long and hard yesterday, but physically and emotionally, how are you feeling today? Uh, I was really tired after the session, but I got a great night's sleep and I woke up and I feel great. I had breakfast. I did my morning routine and I feel great. And more than anything, like I feel so grateful that I got to be with mm. Otis last night and the group overall. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know, I didn't get enough sleep, but that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter right now because I'm so grateful. Like, it's just, it's such a gift to be doing this work. Yeah, it really is. And and you, you can feel it in your own energy and how it, it enlivens us to do this work, even though it is uh, challenging. Um, and that's another thing, you know, as we think about the future of psychedelic medicines and, and wherever they are and the administrator administers of the medicine uh, have to be like we've shown with Otis and talked about taking care of themselves because it is, it is a powerful space, not just for the people that we're working with, but especially when we use the medicine, you know, it's a, it's a powerful processing tool for us that we need to continue supporting each other and uh, being just good mirrors, you know, yeah, yeah. Taking care of ourselves is so important. If, so, yeah. Like, if I don't take care of myself, I can't show up for people in that space. So, mm-hmm. that comes first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what's the billboard? Okay. The billboard is a Ram Das quote, which is Your problem is you're too busy holding on to your unworthiness. Mm. I just feel like psilocybin taught me like, whoa, you're beautiful. Love yourself. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stop feeling so unworthy. It's like wasting your time. Not wasting, but you know, like, yeah. yeah. Like we're all so beautiful. And like, I really believe we're each here for a unique purpose. Mm. And uh, yeah. 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 Holding on to any of it, you know, holding on to any of it. And that, that. That yeah. like shame and uh, I should have and all that stuff, holding on to any of it, just let it go. Mm, I think that's yeah. I think that's what, especially after yesterday's dose, man. For me, like I haven't thought about my billboard a little. Well, I've got a fucking twenty of them. That's one that would just let it go. It felt so good yesterday, just letting it go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Brooke. Well, thank you again for your third retreat, our second family retreat. It's always a pleasure having you here, and thanks again for joining back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You are too busy holding on to your unworthiness. Boom. 
Let that shit go, friends. In fact, let me let go and let Ram Das share his thoughts on the topic. It takes us a long time, many of us more longer than others, to come up out of the, the darkness of our feelings of unworthiness, of unlovableness, of allowing that liquidity to happen, of feeling safe to be in the presence of love. When, when I first experienced my guru loving me, my mind kept flickering with the thoughts of, if he only knew. And then I realized that he did know. And he was still loving me. And it took me through the da 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 da. And whatever you are, however you are at this moment, when you can accept that you are lovable, then the fear starts to dissolve. It's allowing your own beauty. It's allowing the beauty of your soul, which is behind your personality. It's behind all that stuff. Just another radiant bit of light, another soul. And I think at this moment, it's nothing violent to do. You just observe the kind of sadness, the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of separateness, the feeling of pain. You just watch it and allow it. And don't get too fierce about it. Or don't feel too deprived about it. And don't milk the self-pity of it. You know, just notice that it's just a passing show. It's just another place your mind is grabbing. It's all mind. You realize that. The only thing you're stuck in is not even history. It's just mind. It's a model you have of who you think you are. And who you think everybody else is. That's all it is. That's exactly what's causing your suffering at this moment is your own thought forms and you're clinging to them and saying, this is real. It's like somebody who, who sees a rope and they think it's a snake and they get frightened and then somebody says, it's just a rope and then suddenly they're not frightened anymore. And it's as simple as that. It really is the mind. And that's finally why you're driven to, to work on your mind, to quiet your mind. Because you see the way your personality is really just a series of thoughts that you keep investing. Like the first moment you felt the sadness or the loneliness or the emptiness or the pain, that started a whole track of, oh, this is like I've always felt in the past, and you started to build the whole storyline all over again. And it's at that moment, it's just, ah, sadness. Oh, yes. Comes and goes. Because I would say that most people in this room, if you scratch the surface, you will find some residual unworthiness from just from just having grown up on earth. I mean, it's interesting because you don't understand that the personality itself is rooted in fear and vulnerability. That's where the root is of it. Because you go from being, can you imagine being the baby that is everything in the universe to starting to be this little vulnerable tiny thing. And the first time you realize there are big forces and you're not them how incredibly inadequate one must feel if you could give words to it. And every one of us has been through that, that moment. And for most of us, it's buried so deeply, we can never get hold of it. I know, I know, he makes it sound easy, doesn't he? <laughs> and it can be once we start learning how to let go. Uh, once we do that, it 
tends to get easier <laughs> with some backsliding for sure. But my goodness, that sense of unworthiness can penetrate into our very cells. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, like a skipping record, just blasting us over and over with perceived negativity. I mean, some of us might even feel like our sense of unworthiness is exactly what makes us unworthy. <laughs> what a dangerous cycle that can be. Those loops, folks, those loops, my goodness, can they be tough to get out of. Psilocybin can help us get out of these loops, but usually not until it face plants us into our own personal spirals of despair. As many of you know, I'm sure psilocybin mushrooms can exacerbate these mental loops within the direct experience, occasionally manifesting as horrifying and seemingly inescapable insanity, verbal repetition of single phrases for hours, time spirals, or uncontrollable repetitive physical movements. Weird stuff. But while difficult and occasionally confusing, it's often the only way our conscious mind can be awoken to the fact that each and every day we are operating as if we're in a loop. <laughs> best method I've found for getting out of the loop is to release control. Relax into it, and eventually it will suck you down into the vortex and spit you out the other side. <laughs> I believe that only when we can become aware of these loops, then we can potentially stop resisting them. I know it's strange, isn't it? You would think that awareness would lead to resistance, and it can, we often double down, as my friend Ladora has put it, but we can only do that for a while. It has been said, aptly so, resistance is futile. We will be forced to face ourselves head on, folks. Maybe through the consequences of our behavior, such as broken relationships or habitual unemployment, or maybe through one of the aforementioned examples of how mushrooms can manifest our patterns, if we're unaware of our habitual ways of thinking and behaving, well, then we just kind of coast along with low-grade resistance. Psilocybin mushrooms tend to illustrate the loops that are kind of like a comfort zone for the default mode network. And comfort, my friends, is a killer. These defense mechanisms can often become the walls that imprison us. The tighter we hold on, the more impossible it becomes to get out. And while Ram Dass and Eric Osborne can tell you over and over about letting go, until you experience it yourself, until you let go, well, it's just an abstract idea and I'm just talking to hear myself talk. <laughs> go eat some mushrooms. In a safe and legal setting, please. Get uncomfortable with yourself so that you can relax into your perfection. <laughs> I am so very grateful that you have chosen to spend more of your time with myself and Brooke in the Psilocybin Chronicles. May all of your journeys, both inward and outward, be safe and rewarding. <laughs>